It's nice, as Parvati said, to see all of you, a number of you have come from further afield for this upcoming Inner Renewal Retreat, and it's a wonderful blessing to have you here, and everyone else. <laughs> so I'd like you to tune into this reading, take the opportunity to perhaps even close your eyes, but feel the vibration in these words from Yogananda, from Whispers from Eternity. It befits not thy lily-tender feet to dance on the stony soil of hard hearts. On the petals of my sympathy for others, may thy tenderness dance forever. Divine Mother, may I feel thy heartthrobs in my own heart, thy joy in my happiness, thy wise direction in all my activity, thy spirit in my soul. Divine Mother, I lay all the flowers of my love at thy feet of eternity. Oh, open wide the flowers of my budding devotion and release thy fragrance that it may spread from my soul to the souls of others, ever whispering of thee. I pray to behold my love reflected in others. In the light of that greater love, may I behold thine unveiled face of perfect compassion. May I behold my true self in others, that I perceive thee ever enthroned in our united hearts. At the heart of my whispered prayers, I feel stirring thy silent whispers. In the light of my burning candle of devotion, I behold at last thy sacred blaze of perfect love. O Divine Mother, Unite our hearts as one heart, so that on the sacred altar of united hearts, we may find thine omnipresence enthroned forever. I came across this little reading the other day that I thought um, hopefully will apply to today's talk. Uh, you never know. Um, but a devotee uh, is asking uh, his spiritual teacher about a certain scripture, uh, whether it be a good book to read. And the teacher replied very wisely. He said, you should rather ask the question, what state am I in to receive the blessings of this scripture? And that's at the heart of what's trying to be conveyed here in this reading, in this focus today, that there are going to be divine laws, there are going to be natural laws, and sometimes to our chagrin, there are human laws. And the human laws can be across the spectrum. But laws are a part of the inherent structure of creation. It's not as if laws are the bad guys. It's more that, like this teacher saying to the devotee, where are you coming from? If we can invest our energy, our openness, even in man-made laws, it's like we're changing the playing field. We're allowing divine opportunity to come into play. You know, I was reading this, this interesting thing from Pope Gregory I, who's also known as Gregory I, and, and many people attribute him um, inaccurately as the founder of Gregorian chants. Gregorian chants are simply 
um, music with the words of the scriptures. And they didn't actually happen for about 300 years after Pope Gregory I. But Pope Gregory I lived at the end of the sixth century. And he was the first pope that had a monastic tradition. He had been a monk. No other pope up until that time had come from that momentum in their lives. And now, so the sixth century, now if you know about the yogic emphasis of the cycles of time, the yugas as they're called, the lowest point referring to the natural state of affairs where here in this planet on this earth, we're the furthest away from the natural flow of divine blessings. 499, or rounding it out to 500 AD, or as some people call it now, 500 CE, current era. Uh, this is your history lesson, by the way. <laughs> so, um, so here it was that Pope Gregory, close to the very lowest point in this cycle of consciousness in the realm of us, define contemplation. Now pay attention to this. This is very interesting. He said, contemplation is the knowledge of God that is impregnated with love. Pretty amazing that it came at that time because we all know how the word contemplation is used familiarly now by most people. It means to study something, to reflect on something, to think about something. And indeed, the word meditation has those general meanings as well. I'm going to meditate on something, meaning I'm going to think about something, reflect on something. But here it is, close to the lowest point of of consciousness in the world. The Pope of all people, of the Christian church, gave this understanding that the experience that was important was going inside to have that knowledge, that experience of God, not just even the understanding of God, but not only that, it's impregnated with love. That's a good description of how we approach meditation and everything, actually. But we get challenged here, and the idea of laws being constrictive really comes from the bottlenecking of the outward expression of that. And in a sense, our opportunity as well as our responsibility, but more our gift to ourselves in the world, is to really live in a deeper, more fully encompassing experience. I know that, um, well, last week, our, our minister, Baudry, when he was speaking, talked about um, dealing with a friend who is not Ananda-related, but lives in the uh, world around Ananda that he had a knee surgery, and Bhadra was talking about some of the experience. Well, I'll tell you my version. I had a knee surgery as well uh, at the beginning of December, and it was a minor one. It was just arthroscopic uh, knee surgery. But 
What was interesting is that I got to play with it and myself in terms of an adventure. Um, and now a lot of you have had much more serious situations. I know Bhagavati and Ramesha are a good example, and here they are here singing with great magnetism and joy. So I won't compare myself to them. Um, <laughs> but it was interesting because I actually injured my knee, tore my meniscus uh, some 41 years ago. And uh, it was clear I heard it. It went when I was lifting some firewood. Um, but even now, when you Google, you do a search engine search about knees and arthroscopic knee surgery and that, there's a good deal of advice saying that surgery doesn't necessarily provide you with that greater result than doing, for instance, physical therapy. So there's always a question in a lot of procedures and, and situations with our bodies. But uh, it was bothering me about a year ago. And not so much that I ever felt pain, but it would click out. And if you've ever experienced that, you know, suddenly it'd go, you know, I'd be walking, oh, it just would go out. And then I realized that's not really that bad in and of itself. The consequence of doing, having that and doing something like falling down a step and really destroying my knee, I thought, I better check into this. So I went to our clinic with Dr. Peter, and he you know, um, prescribed a, an x-ray, which didn't show that much. It showed probably there was something. And then he set me up with an MRI. Um, and it showed clearly in the results, not speaking the language of reading a medical file, but, um, but there, there was a longitudinal tear in my meniscus, uh, quite obvious. And so, uh, being ever optimistic, I, when I had my appointment with the orthopedic surgeon, which was the beginning of last August, I said to him, and I went like this, I said, so, can we do physical therapy? And he just said, no. You've gone way past that possibility. And if you don't deal with it, you're going to have consequences that are even more serious. So I said, okay. So, you know, but I said, because of my schedule, because I had all these trips planned to places like Dallas, we've got some Dallas devotees here, um, and other places that, uh, and plus taking seclusion, I thought, I'm not gonna do this until early December. So this is early August, I saw him. Now, this was like taking a law, in a sense, natural law. Well, he gave me these handouts, including a lot of advice, to prepare for this wonderful event. And it included exercises. Now, every day for the last 40 some years, I've done energization exercises every day. I think I miss half a dozen days when I was courting Parvati. Um, um, I'm, I'm not laying any blame on her. But I've done yoga postures um, for that same length of time. So I'm used to that flow of things and understanding that, as we know from the energization exercise of Yogananda, it's the energy that we're tuning into. The physical expression of that through the movements and, and all of that, that's the way that we get in touch with the flow of energy, using our will and our awareness. So, 
I've applied that to the yoga postures uh, over all these years. But then there's this new set of exercises. And I thought, well, I'll just assume I'm going to bring the same awareness, same energy, same focus to these exercises. And, and then I saw um, the surgeon a couple of weeks so after I came out of seclusion. Uh, no, maybe it was before seclusion. Anyway, sometime in November. Um, and you know, he went over what we were going to do and what was going to happen. And he said, the main thing is, after this operation, you've really got to have intense discipline to make sure you can straighten your leg. Because you have people not doing that, and they're walking around still with a limp. Uh, now, you'll see me limping a little bit. Um, but this idea that I was thinking the energy. So the law is there. This is what's going to happen to my body. You know? But again, I've never felt any pain uh, from the injury in my knee. And so that was kind of interesting. And so with this prompting, I did more of the exercise. And then, then came the day of the operation. And again, not a big serious operation, but I've never had any other operation except some hernia operation. So I felt like, wow, I get to see what this is about. And it's an outpatient operation. It's not that you stay overnight. Um, but uh, I had this wonderful meditation that morning for several hours. And it was the last time I was able to sit cross-legged on my cushion on the floor. I still can't do that. And now it's been three and a half decades since I sat in a chair in my usual meditation. So it was a little bit interesting. But the day of the operation was interesting because we were there an hour and a half before uh, to do all the pre-op stuff. And they were very kind really good people in Grass Valley. And, um, and then we finished at, after about half an hour. So I had almost a whole hour before the they're going to wheel me into the operation room and do the surgery. So I thought, I'm going to meditate. And uh, at first, there was a, uh, a child next door, like a 10-year-old child, I believe, um, that was going to have major dental surgery, because I could hear them talking. And he had a, an iPad on with um, something from Sesame Street. <laughs> and it was loud. And I thought, well, that's the nature of, of this world of duality. It's always going to be that way. But I thought, no, I, I know these techniques. And so I started to just tune in. And it wasn't long before I was enveloped internally in this very soft healing light. I knew it was healing. I could feel it. It was like it was permeating me. It wasn't even outside of me. It just felt I was that light. And, and then um, some of the, um, the folks had to come in and check on me, including the anesthesiologist. And he smiled, because I talked to him a few days before the operation, but he came in smiling and said, so I get to take you into happy land. <laughs> you know, by sedating me with an IV. And he said, by the way, there's evidence that you can direct where you go when you're sedated in your mind. And I said, wow. <laughs> and, and he said, you know, like if you picture a beach or some environment you want to be in. And without really thinking, I said, I'd like to go to heaven.
And he was good. He said, well, I can't give you a one-way ticket. I need to bring you back. Um, and that was fine. And then, um, then they wheeled me in. And you know, it's, it's, they're intense, of course. But you know, I was joking with them. And just before you, know, you, you go under sedation, I said to them all, there's about seven of them in there. I said, so have a wonderful adventure. And they said, okay. And the next thing I was, you know, recovering from the sedation and coming back into my body again. And, uh, but interestingly enough, I didn't feel any pain. I never felt pain, which I assumed was the grace of God. Um, and some peculiar things that surrounded that. But, uh, but when I went home uh, that first day, they say, don't do anything and just you know, make sure you're recovering and the next day too. And so, um, because my main concern was, was not being able to do Kriya. I've never missed a day of Kriya since I took Kriya for the first time in 1979. And we say, don't do Kriya when you're coming out of surgery or something. Well, excuse me, Master. Uh, but anyways, what I, what I reasoned out with my heart as well, I said, this wasn't that serious, and I'm not feeling pain. I'm going to do 14 Kriyas this evening. And, and then I tried to do Mahamudra. It's actually good that I <laughs> tried. <laughs> Someone probably looking at me, maybe Parvati, would say, he's just collapsing down. I mean, what, what is he doing? Uh, Ma Mudra is one of the techniques, for those that don't know, that's a part of our Kriya uh, technique. But, but this is interesting, because I had to elevate my leg and ice it numerous times every day. And then they said, make sure the day after, the day after your operation, do those exercises. And I did. And again, I had this feeling, no, this isn't just about exercise and the outcome that will happen physically, which would be wonderful, but it was an energy exchange. It was investing in energy, and this is the way prana was going to flow through these exercises. But then in sitting with my leg elevated and icing it, at first, the first day I, I was reading some really good books, spiritual books. And then I thought, but I'm going to meditate when I do this. And then I felt like this is a precious time as a crossroad to go with just making do or feeling my physical body is saying this, but where's my awareness? It's going towards God. So it, it's allowed me in these last couple of months to meditate over three and a half hours a day because of that. Now, normally, I, would have, I was thinking it would go in the opposite direction because of the discomfort of the body. And it was just basically aches and no pain, um, or just the unwieldiness of having a leg up and uh, sitting in a chair, which was foreign to my meditative practice, and then icing it. But, I start to really enjoy it. And when I first went for physical therapy, which is a productive thing to do a couple weeks afterwards, uh, was my first session. They assess you as much as give you more exercises. 
and she did a number of things, you know. And then she got me on a stationary bike. And when I was bringing my operated leg up, I was about to scream with the intensity of pain. It was the only time I felt pain, and I couldn't do it. And she said, okay, okay, okay. See if you can cycle backwards. And that was fun. It was challenging, but it was fine. And it dawned on me right there. All I need to do is move forward with opening to what the law is and be at the center of that experience. So when I came back a week later, when I got on the stationary bike, it was fun to do it cycling forward. It just felt like this is what my body yearns to have happen. And then she would add different things through the different sessions that we had. And I said to her at one point, I'm really, really glad I know about yogic breathing and apply it. Because <laughs> it allowed me to get past that, that tension that can so easily come when you're feeling discomfort. Um, and it really worked wonders. And I was saying this to one of the other therapists there. And he said, yeah, yeah, I should probably get back into my yoga practice and my meditation. Yeah, we've got online classes. Um, but from the whole experience, it was just tuning in more to what is that essence of it? And so whatever laws are out there, we can go with that love. We can experience that love. And it's interesting in my meditations, uh, sometimes in those shorter ones where I just meditated for maybe 20 minutes, midday or whatever, um, that I felt much more in my heart. I actually would put my hand to my heart chakra because it felt it was real. I wasn't affirming it so much. I was touched by it. I was feeling it. I felt Master's presence, Yogananda's presence. But you know, in the teachings of yoga, for instance, yesterday, Naiswami Jyotish was um, talking about a number of things, and he mentioned the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali and the Yamas and the Yamas. These are the first two limbs of the eight limbs of what's known as Ashtanga Yoga. And it's interesting that in Swami Kriyananda's book, Demystifying Patanjali, he's made some refinements in his understanding and his sharing of what's in the Yoga Sutras. And he makes this very clear point in this book about the sutras that the sutras, including these yamas and niyamas, which are 10 qualities, uh, that they're not things to act on, to do. They're qualities to be. Interesting, isn't it? Now granted, as we tune into being in the experience, we realize, ah, I'm kind of shy of my goal, and I can then activate what's behind that. If you think of the first one, which is ahimsa, uh, and again, in the refinement, instead of calling it nonviolence, which is the traditional way of calling it, Swami Kriyananda writes non-harmfulness. Interesting? A little bit different. Violence brings up, conjures, you know, up a, an intense kind of extreme position. Harmfulness is, is more captivating even the thought of wanting harm to happen. So he has non-harmfulness, non-deceit, non-covetedness, non-sensuality, 
and non-attachment, and the five niyamas, which are more the things to tune into um, in a magnetic way, is purity. Often it's just um, uh, cleanliness. But in cleanliness in our Western vocabulary uh, has a little bit of a certain meaning. Purity is really what it's about, purity of the heart. And then contentment, austerity, um, and then self-study, and then devotion to the Supreme Lord. Well, this is very interesting, that they're not, as I said, things to do, but we can sort of, as we wrap our energy, our aura around it, we can feel, oh, it would be good if I worked on being more truthful or more pure. But in this understanding that it's really the description of what happens in perfection, what the conditions of perfection are, is what Patanjali is revealing to us. That's interesting. It's a different mindset. It opens up a whole different realm of possibilities. That if we're centered in ourselves, again, whatever level that might be, whether we feel we're real green to any of these teachings, or we've been around them for a long time, if we feel that we can come even a little bit from our center, then we've already attained the experience of these qualities. Now, this is very interesting that uh, years ago, many years ago, someone mentioned to me that they, I think, had read something that was indicating that the Ten Commandments of the Judaic Christian realm weren't really commandments. No more than the yamas niyamas are things to do. That the Ten Commandments, now Yogananda called them, you'll love this, the eternal rules of happiness. That they shouldn't be this thou shalt do this so much as what is it that's enveloping me in the way that I'm going to grow? And how do I find a way to offer myself so that growth is there? I think if we, if we just subtly change that just even a little bit, it's, it's what I found, for instance, doing those exercises I've been doing uh, or doing the yoga postures for all these years. The focus is opening up to the experience, not trying to get somewhere. The law of my body is going to function the way it's going to function. Um, right now, um, there are certain yoga postures that I'm not attempting to do because of my knee. I don't want to put undue pressure on it and maybe injure it. But that doesn't limit me. It just allows me to say, what can I do? So for I've always loved Bhujangasana, the cobra pose, but I I couldn't do it. So after about three days after the operation, I thought, but I really feel the energy is needing to happen in that way. So we have an armchair that doesn't have the big arms on it, but just nice, uh, sort of like railings in the sense. And so I put my hands and then walk back. And then I, and it was like even more dynamic than doing the Cobra Pose on the floor. And so I'm not sure if I ever go back, to, no. but. but <laughs> You know how it is. You find the creativity taking place because your openness, your awareness, your understanding is going in that right direction. So 
Love is what's going to be there, but we may just feel it as the openness of our hearts or the calmness of our energy. These are really the essence of that love of God that flows through us, that openness of who we are. And so as we tune in this way, as it said, I think at the end of the, the reading on security, um, be of good cheer, but do that with your heart, your openness, and your wonderment that you can work with whatever is in duality in a way to bring you the divine touch in this moment. Let's have that moment now. Blessed, blessed, the life that is given to God. Blessed, blessed, the ways where his feet have trod. sing you of emerald hills of fire. 
meadows so fair that all who have seen them have carried away memories in their hearts, friends, like the lilacs of May. Oh, my song is the story of the lilacs of May. My song is the story of deer on the hills, of larks that soar seeking the sun, of nightingales lifting the curtain of night, as with music they bring down heaven's blessing of light. My song is the story of God's blessing of light. Come join me in singing of the emerald isle of flowers that like jewels besprinkle the of waterfalls eager to embrace the white sea as we with our maker united would be as we the lilacs of May. Oh, my song is the story of the lilacs of May.